You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Kevin Curry and I, good to see you. Good to see you, Dan. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm doing just, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, we, we won't tell people why we had to restart, but I'm, I'm my decrepitude is, is uh, a pace. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Now, do you know... Do you not find are you not do you not find yourself becoming like stupid under lockdown? I mean, I'm just doing unbelievably <laughs> yeah. stupid like things just like almost somebody like they've just woken up or something. I, yeah, I, I actually find um and I I want to write something about this at some point. One of the things that I drastically underestimated would affect me is the lack of ability to compartmentalize parts of your life. Mm. Like because you're not going you, somewhere and then coming home and then right? Yeah, when when you go to work, you go to work, you're at work, the things around you tell you you're at work. There's just certain things you don't do at work. There's you know, there's certain things you don't do at home, you know, all that stuff. Uh and I think that's kind of uh, if there's anything that's made me that sort of stupid. Um just, although Jeffrey uh, Tubin has been pushing the boundaries of what one does at work. I promise you, I have made all necessary arrangements you make, for, you, for the You're taking care of all the things you need to take not care of to before have, we started. <laughs> Yeah, but, well, it is kind of weird with the, the Zoom stuff and all all that. Like, you can be technically watching other people with other people not actually like watching you back. It's asymmetrical. Yeah, yeah. and it just it it plays havoc on on meetings and things yeah. like that. I don't know if you've I I well, find listen, I mean the reason I put up these these backgrounds right. Yeah. So the people don't see all the girls dancing in the background. I mean, you know, otherwise, I'd get I'd get a pile on that would make Jeffrey Tubins just look um look like nothing. Um, yeah. Actually, the reason I have this is because my room is so filthy. I'm embarrassed to have people see it. Now, that's, when, that's, when, <laughs> so are you working from home at this point? I'm yeah. Like so Missouri State's open. Yeah. Um, but I elected to teach from home. Yeah. We had to decide like in the early summer. And I really did not have a ton of confidence in what I was hearing from the university about their mitigation efforts. Yeah. Now it all went in a way I wouldn't have predicted. So I was indeed, I think, right to not be very confident in their mitigation efforts as in like, I think like 800 people or something have come down with this thing on campus. And that's a campus of 20,000 people. Um, But I also would have guessed that if that happened, the school would just go all online and it just hasn't. I mean, these people can stomach an awful lot of, uh, an awful lot of, um, and our, our K through 12 is not closed either. I mean, everybody's hand, everybody's hand wringing in New York. They're going to close again. Yeah. We're we're doing this sort of kind of mealy mouth hybrid thing where we don't want to be fully open. So like, I don't quite fully get it. It's, it's, I know some kids are going to class on certain days and then staying home on other days. I myself don't understand how it is that you're safer in terms of the spread of the virus if everyone is going to school, but just everyone's going on different days. Yeah. If everyone's going, because it's just still, if someone, well, I think that they're trying to think that fewer people in an enclosed space for an extended period of time, just on average is going to lower rates. But I mean, that's very abstract. And I also, I I mean, I wrote about this and, and I've talked about this with people on, on blogging heads. Um, um, I just don't understand how anybody at this point cannot see that the cost of the mitigation is now at least equal to, and if not overrunning the cost of 
of the actual uh, Ill, uh, the disease, because largely because of the impact that we now know it's having on young people, right? To whom I think we have a special responsibility. Yeah, I, I mean, I the, from what I see, um, I think universities have this sort of conflict in in kind of interest. Um, on one hand, having students on campus allows them to obviously you know charge the full tuition in a way that doing an online semester wouldn't. Um, you know, that's not a great motive, but we can't pretend the financial motive isn't an important motive if we're employees of a university. Yeah, well, I'm not going dis- to dismiss that motive. That, yeah. mean, that, that's, that, that equals all the employment of all the people there, including the janitors and the cafeteria yeah. workers yeah. Yeah. whose lives matter, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but um, one of the things that, that I've really disliked about the discourse around COVID and stuff like that is number one, everyone pretends to know stuff they probably don't know. Like I hear regular people pretending that they understand like the epidemiology yeah. involved in this. Like, I know these scientists are clearly correct. And and like, yeah, I, I don't have the hubris to, yeah. to say that. But secondly, there's just, this is a bad situation and every solution or every uh, outcome to it comes with huge costs and huge benefits. Um, shutting everything down, comes with the huge cost of potentially torpe- torpedoing an economy that's yeah. already which means people's lives i mean i don't i don't like this oh it's just the economy you know what's what's money versus life or businesses versus life and the yeah. answer is businesses are life i mean that's how people yeah. feed I, themselves I, I, I know of three <laughs> and i'm involved with a fourth business who have had to shut down over covid um you know like no in terms of know the people who are involved they are now out of work my son cannot go to uh, a particular indoor playground anymore. Like even after this is over, that thing shut down. It's closed. Yeah, it's done. Like that, yeah. That, that has an effect. Of course, the converse is the people who are like, no, we should shut down at all costs until this thing is like, until we're pretty sure that the death rate and the, the infection rate is, is going to be really, really low. And it's like, yeah, it's like, either way you go. It's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I just don't see people treating this with that sort of care. It's so hyper partisanized. Uh, yeah, that was it's very disappointing that this that this in particular became so politicized. Which yeah. is gonna which brings us to our which topic. Um to- um um so and I and I totally just like flubbed the beginning of this thing because I'm supposed to do the introduction and stuff, so I'll do it now. Yeah. Um this is the Sophia program on meaningoflife.tv part of the bloggingheads.tv network. I'm Daniel Kaufman, I'm a professor of philosophy at Missouri State University. I also publish an ma- online magazine called The Electric Agora, for which t- now one of our new writers is yeah. Kevin Curry-Knight. And um, uh, why don't you tell them, just give the audience just a tiny bit about um, where you, because you, you're a philosopher, but you're not teaching in a philosophy department. That's right. That's right. So just give us the, the elevator picture yeah. of what you do. Um, you are, so I am a teaching associate professor at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, in their college of education, I'm kind of the guy who does like the philosophy of education, history of education, you know, dealing with questions like, you know, what is school for? Is it for training citizens? Is it for producing workers? Is it for, you know, stuff like that? Or issues of curriculum? Like, should all kids know the same stuff, learn the same stuff? Like, that's the stuff we do. I'm also, I also do history, uh, history of education. Um, it's kind of interesting to say that I'm a philosopher because I don't actually have any of my degrees in, um, in philosophy. So, Oh, I didn't my, know that. I thought you were a philosophy PhD. I thought you were a philosophy PhD. My bachelor's is in songwriting. 
from Berkeley College of Music. I, I was going to do that. Uh, I have two master's degrees, one in special education, one in liberal, uh, liberal arts from University of Richmond. And then my PhD is in education. So when you do uh, degrees in education fields, it's usually specialized. So like a lot of folks get a degree in the philosophy of education or they get a degree in like elementary education or social studies education. I decided for reasons that turned out to be really good that that would be horrible for my job prospects. Like I knew people who got degrees in philosophy of education and uh, I don't know how feasible it is to get jobs because there's not a whole lot of jobs. It's not feasible to get jobs in philosophy departments. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. yeah. And and of course, philosophy of education is like a cross section. It's like, you know, philosophy and then winnow that down to philosophy of education. So um, I went to a program, University of Delaware, that has their degree in education and you just kind of choose a sub a, a sub area. My sub area is called curriculum and inquiry, which kind of leads into philosophy. And philosophy is kind of one of my loves. I, I, well, it's a testament to your, your philosophical uh, acumen that I, w- I thought you had a PhD in philosophy. I mean, that, 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 yeah. you know, you, you, your, well, your, 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 your interlocution is a uh, pretty, um, pretty high level for somebody who mind, doesn't have a degree in philosophy. Right. And, and then keep in mind that at a, age up to 21, I was, I was pursuing a songwriting career. I was in Nashville pursuing a songwriting career. I had no interest in academic stuff all through that time. It was like, would be a long story that we don't have to get amazing. My daughter is a vocal performance major at the Jacobs school of music at the university of Indiana just started this year. I'm wearing all my Michigan gear to sort of count to, to, so people won't think I'm a traitor to my, um, to my, uh, traded to my race yeah um and i'm of course i know that michigan just lost i think to indiana um 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 which of course is disturbing and contrary to the nature what was the psychology there for you (laughs) oh she just she just texted me with just laughing at me (laughs) she just texted me like photos like you know i don't know of like you know indiana football players and just like with ha 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 sort of underneath (laughs) Which um, which was this is all a lot of fun. I have to say, you know, you have young children. Yeah, I miss having a young child. Um, for all the joys it brings, but I have to say there is something very fun about her now being kind of quasi adult and 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 engaging with her in this at this level. Um, I, I have to say that, you know, this happened right before Corona hit. She and I managed to just squeak it out right before Corona, but we did all the college visits together. Mm, yeah. And um, I have to say that in, of, in the last, let's say five years or so, I can't think of anything that I enjoyed more that really meant as much to me as going with her to universities. I mean, it just look at your children and just think yeah. to yourself, I'm going to blink three times and I'm going to be, taking them on tours of universities because that's what it felt like i was you know (laughs) well you know i guess since i'm still early in my parenting uh career one of the things that always bothers me is is you know that has a certain age you really can't control the outcome like no i mean really from an early age you can't if you think you can control the outcome you're you're probably yeah deluding yourself a bit yeah um and you see kind of the opposite like you know um what if my children make choices that that I just know in my gut are, are bad choices, but obviously I can't stop them. Like I was watching, uh, I did that article for Electric Agora on, on the Nexium cult. 
which for yeah 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 i'm just obsessed with i'm going to recommend that to people that's um, a really good piece um i would like to write a what a bizarre what a bizarre yeah it well so i was watching a documentary series on that following india oxenberg who is the daughter of uh, the actress Catherine oxenberg and and her journey through nexium and like at one at one point, Catherine says, like it dawned on me, she may never get out of this thing, and I have literally no control over that. I can't get, I can't make her. She's yeah. she's over eighteen. I can't make her leave this thing, yeah. and she's convinced that it, that it makes her happy. Now, of course, she revised that later on, and and she realized, thanks to Catherine's work and others' work, that it didn't that that she just was in the dark, that she was brainwashed. But yeah. you know, I mean, you think about that then for your own kids. At least I did. I'm like, wow, like what if? Yeah. What if? one of my kids decides to do something like that. And I just, I can't. No, it's a terrifying prospect. It gets very, at very deep fears. Um, um, also gets at, you know, questions of just, you know, how much you should impose yourself That's right. on your children. I mean, my, my wife and I sort of from very early on agreed upon a very laissez-faire strategy. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, we, you know, we did not impose ourselves on her. Yep. We did not even try to really convince, you know, get her to, to necessarily like the things that we like. Right. Um, um, Which has um, got to be hard. Or right? believe the things we believe. Yeah, especially for someone like me who has such intense enthusiasms. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I hesitate to express a philosophy of child rearing just because it's so fraught. And, and like you said, um, we really just don't know how much control we have over it. I mean, recent All, science of, seems yeah. to suggest there's very little. There's very little. That, however, I, I guess I, I do kind of have difficulty believing that, and I have to think that there's there's got to be something getting missed in the social science there, because which is easy to happen. Um, because it well, just I see I've been teaching now for 25 years, and I just have seen too much evidence of the damage that is the result of bad parenting. And in some cases, egregiously bad parenting, especially in my area, it mostly comes out of very fundamentalist right wing intolerant homes where the kids are essentially, they're trying to program them. Right. Um, And so I, I guess I think that's something, but, but but I don't want, it's not, you know, obviously this is not our time, but what I was going to say was, I do have this kind of strong working hunch that very early on, you're going to find out whether your kid is sort of basically normal or not. Right. Right. And by normal, I mean that in the purely descriptive science sort of medical sense. Right. Right. Um, And if they are, and if they are, and if you are decent people and have a decent home, you are just going to have to trust that they're going to wind up in the end making decent decisions. Right. Right. Um, Now, if you, if early on you realize your child is not normal, now that's a whole different uh, ball game, and I have no idea how I would have navigated that. The thought of it, frankly, terrifies me. Right. Um, but I I do think that if your kid is basically normal and you're not you know poor and you have a decent civil civilized household, that the kids are largely going to come out all right. Right. I mean, right. you know, obviously there's statistical and that you just, the biggest thing to do that you have to do is keep your nerve, not lose your nerve mm-hmm. and overcorrect or over parent. And I, we just had an incident where that almost just happened. And my daughter walked, stalked off in a huff and actually drove back to Indiana mm-hmm. in the at late at night. And there was that moment where I pushed too far and too hard because I was reacting out of fear. Mm. And the minute I noticed, saw myself doing it, I'm like, wait a minute. 
This is how you react when your daughter tells you she's going to go run off with her meth cook boyfriend. This is not how you react to your daughter when she says she's going to change her major, right? That's what we were fighting about, right? Right. Um, Right. And so I realized, oh, no, this this entire spiral is because of me. I I lost my nerve, and I – over, I pushed too hard, and now she's got her back up, and here we are off, right? Yeah, you dig, you're, right? She's going to dig in a bit more because right, she's 18 that, years right? old. She's, I mean, she's, I also believe, and I've not gotten to a point where I've had to meaningfully do this yet, so it's easier. Said yeah, yours are too right? young still. Yeah, but yeah. some mistakes have to be theirs to make. They have to be allowed to make. Process them. has to be realizing for yourself. Like I can advise. But yeah, I mean, there's just, there, and again, that's easier said than, than done because I know parents who've had to make really hard choices on exactly that vector and uh, it's it's excruciating yeah. for them. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm sure it will be excruciating for me, even though I know intellectually that, yeah, there, that has to be a mistake they make and they have to learn from it themselves. Yeah, it's one of these things, it's one of the few things in your life where even when you're doing it exactly right and it's going really well yeah it's still fraught yeah so i think i, I think one thing to, to to say though is that um uh, alison gopnik wrote a really good book the psychologist slash philosopher i don't know which she is more I, I love the fact that she blurs the boundaries but she studies kids a lot and kind of how they develop um wrote a book called the gardener and the carpenter and she puts it in some ways like like this there's a certain minimum that parents must provide for their children to grow up well, but past that minimum, it's not really up to you. Nothing, nothing you do in the large, in the large scale is going to matter. Like, yes, if you, if you neglect your kids, if you beat your kids, if you don't have the money for proper nutrition, things like that, that is going to, there's a way you can assuredly ruin them by your parenting, but but the opposite is not the case, right? right, But whether, what disciplinary approach you take generally speaking, or, or if you, you know, like every parent regrets those situations where they react in anger. And I think Allison's uh, point is generally like, you know, that could affect them, but it's likely not going to in the great scheme of things. Yeah. 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 Well, we are here, believe it or not, to talk about the election. Um, <laughs> Let's go so so this all started, Kevin Curry and I is, is a new, a new, a new onboard contributor for the electric Agora. Um, and, you know, I'm starting to get to the point to where I no longer even remember the circumstances of how people are coming on board. Like, if you ask me, well, how did you hook up with Robert Gressis? So to, I couldn't tell you. Like, I've already forgotten. And I've already it's, – it's, I've only been talking to you for, like, two weeks. I don't even remember what the how the hell we got in on with each other. I submitted some shit, and then you just you, – you, I guess, liked it enough to put it up. I mean, that's – But what occasioned you to cold, to cold send me to – well – I, I, we talked about this a little bit. In Do we know somebody in common? Uh, no, I've, been, I've just been following Electric Agora and I've watched Sophia a lot. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's just the kind of thing where, you know, like you get tired of, you know, I had these thoughts. And I'm like, I would really love to write something about this. But if you're an academic, the options are make it a journal article, in which case it's like, no, nah, I don't know if I want to put in that much. Yeah, that much work. Or like a blog post. And I'm like, well, no one's going to read a, a a blog post. Yeah. Uh, so like venues like EA or, or I like it. Uh, it's, yeah. it's sort yeah. of like allows people to be like, you know, like Montaigne's essays. No one would publish that in a journal yeah. today. He, he, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't cite sources. He doesn't yeah. do a lit review. He doesn't anyway. Yeah. So what, what happened was 
so Kevin came on board and then he wrote, um, he published several pieces and, and one of them was about um, how he did not vote this election. And then he and I had sort of an argument about it. And um, the comments on this piece are amongst the, some of the most intense, but also um, quite substantial. I mean, most yeah. of the stuff you read online is just people, you know, uh, shitting on each other and peeing on each other and stuff. And this was, some people got a little, ang- are, are kind of heated about it, but there's, yeah. there's no just, you're an asshole. I mean, you know, no. there's real, no, like, even, right. Even the people who got heated. Yeah. Like, are writing lengthy sort of replies. Yeah. And we'll obviously link to this. But I think I it's a testament it was, to the audience, by the way. I'm sorry. I think it's a testament to the audience that you, that, that election has. Well, and also the audience that's there, a lot of them are long standing. I mean, from the day, from the beginning, the thing's been going on for five years and there's sort of like an ethos has emerged. I almost, I almost never have to ban somebody or, or cut or delete their comments. It happens maybe like once a year. Um, And it's partly because we, we kind kind of an ethos has developed within the, the community that people just know, they just know that there's certain things I just won't, I just won't print if they, if they put it and that I will ban them because I have banned people, but I only I have to do it also once like in conversation. I think if everyone else that you see in the conversation is relatively civil and they're articulating arguments, it's hard to be the one guy who comes in. Who just looks like a that. jerk. Whereas yeah. like, if you're just going on like, you know, like Twitter comments where everyone's just an <laughs> asshole, um, it's a lot easier to do yeah. that. So this is what we came to talk about. Kevin, Kevin did not vote this election. Um, and I, I thought he should have, although the force and connotation of that should is actually really interesting. Yeah. Um, because at first I expressed it a certain way. And then when Kevin pushed back, I realized, okay, I, that's, I actually don't really mean that. Um, um, so that's interesting in itself. So Kevin, why don't we start with you giving a quickie sort of summary of the core elements that are obviously expressed at more length and detail in the essay why do you did not vote this election? And maybe more generally, you know, do you usually vote? Was this yeah. just unusual or, or do you tip or, or is it just your normal stance? Eh, I might vote. I might not, you know, I'll see, I'll see how excited I am about the people. Right. Just go through that. Yeah, no, this was actually the first presidential election since I was 18. Uh, so the, my first vote was cast in 1996. Um, this is the first presidential election in which I have declined to vote for the president of the United States. And the reason is not, it's not apathy. It's not uh, being against, you know, democratic elections. It's not against anything like that. And it's, it's not because you didn't have time or the lines were too long. It's not, it's, yeah. It's, it's not, not for that. Kind I mean, of honestly, this was the easiest election in the history of elections, at least since I've been alive to vote. <laughs> right. Because you have the kind of mail-in option at yeah. a larger scale. I actually voted in person, but I didn't wait more than 15 minutes. Well, but that's I mean, probably because a lot of people had that option also. To, and to because vote. I don't live in New York City. I live in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> we live in Greenville, North Carolina. So it's just, right. I mean, our voting, our polling places, usually like in elementary school, it's not long. Yeah. So it's not yeah. that. Um, it's that um, I could, I just could not find a candidate that I felt good about supporting. And when I vote for a candidate, um, I really, I, I understand the idea of you're voting for Biden because you're voting against Trump. But when I vote for someone, that vote will be counted as a vote for that person, an endorsement of that person. Uh, and I guess I take that fair, you know, fairly seriously. Um, so my thinking was that 
I don't like Trump. I didn't vote for him twice. It didn't take me long in that case to you not you did not vote for Trump twice, right? I I didn't do it twice, uh, and it didn't take me long to because by the time the election, by the time you're making your choices, you know enough about Trump to to know that. But and I thought a bit more about Biden, but there's many things about Biden, his policies, his history, etc., that I just I don't feel good about supporting either. Um, so then people would ask the question, well, but you should care about getting Trump out of office more than anything else. And again, I don't like Trump. I don't, you know, defend, I don't support Trump. But again, it goes back to that thing. When I vote for a candidate, if I voted for Joe Biden, my vote would not show up as a vote against Trump. It would show up as a vote for Joe Biden. And if Joe Biden, let's say, got a large majority of the votes, because all, let's say the votes were all anti-Trump votes and they weren't really pro-Biden votes, He's not going to get up on stage the next day and say, well, I won, but I didn't get a mandate because everyone who voted for me clearly voted against Trump. He's going to say, this is a clear mandate. The people have clearly decided they, li- they like my stances. They like my policies. Uh, and I would have felt bad in that condition because that's not what my vote should have been taken for. I usually vote, well, I often vote third party. Um, I'm kind you, of a, you I, often and, vote third party. Is that I what do. you said? Cause I, I was going to ask you, do you typically vote Democrat or Republican? And, and your answer is I typically vote third party. Um, I typically vote third party. I have voted for in a primary. I voted for a Republican. So like in 96, when you first voted, it was uh, what Clinton, it was Clinton versus um, I, I regrettably, I didn't know that much about politics in 96 and I, I voted for Ross Perot. It was Clinton versus um it was that, Clinton, that let's see um that was Ross Perot's second run so the first run was when when Clinton ran against Papa Bush right Perot right. was in right. Perot was, the third, was party. The, the third party vote and then the and honestly one, I think I voted for him for no other reason than he did those tv specials and I thought that was really cool he did like those fireside chat sorts of things instead of running ads yeah. I just didn't realize that he was like a flaming populist at the time. I wasn't. I thought that was. I thought that was good too. I mean, I thought that. I thought to myself, "Geez, you know, I wish the other guys would do this kind of thing." I mean, I, I, I right. mean, I wasn't going to vote for him because I, I was perfectly um, um, happy with Bill Clinton. But, yeah. but um, who, in retrospect, turns out to be one of the more and then respectable. So then, in two thousand, it was Gore versus Bush. That's right. You voted That's- third. You voted That's third party, really and that I voted for Harry Brown. Um, I had actually discovered the Libertarian Party right, okay, on the eve of the election when the no- I think it was right before the nominees Bush and Gore were actually the official nominees, but everyone kind of knew at that point that they would be. Right. And a friend of mine at a bookstore I was working at in Nashville um, said to me something that we were talking about politics because we were putting together a book display about like all the political books with Bush's book and Gore's book. And he asked me, like, you know, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I I don't like Bush for this reasons, for these reasons. I don't like Gore for these reasons. Actually, my reasons for Bush turned out uh, precedent because I said I don't trust him when he says he's a small government conservative. I just don't trust him. The way he answers questions turned out to be pretty prescient because he oversaw a pretty large expansion of the executive branch. And I didn't like Gore for following reasons. He said, well, what? what are your politics? Like, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. And I, I said something like, I just want a politics where people just stay out of each other's shit. And he's like, you should try, you should look at the libertarian party. What? Yeah, um, I, so voted I, for, I voted for, I voted for baby Bush against Gore. 
And then I voted for Kerry against baby Bush the second time. Yeah. Um, did you vote third party in the, in the, the baby Bush versus Kerry election? Yes, I did. And that's one of the instances where I probably shouldn't have. And that was also the libertarian. The libertarian candidate that year was a guy named Michael Badnarik. And since, I mean, if you don't know who he is, you're, you're not alone. And that's probably pretty justified. Um, He was, like a software engineer who taught some college courses on like constitution or something like that. And his big issue in a year where everyone was talking about terrorism, his big issue was second amendment gun rights. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not asking you this to interrogate your choices. It's more that I'm trying to get a sense. It's starting to sound to me more like you do have a party. You do vote you do vote party, um, but it's mostly libertarian. Not, not anymore. Um, over the past few years, I've kind of grown away from the libertarian party. I, I did like Gary Johnson, but a lot of li- purist libertarians didn't like Gary Johnson. So the I first Obama, the first Obama election was it Obama versus McCain? Was it? Uh, yes. Yes. So you voted third part. Did you vote libertarian in that one? I did. Uh, okay. And I guess the way I'll frame it is like you know. I like democracy in some ways enough that I'm willing to show up to a poll and vote for someone who I can sincerely vote for, even when I know that that person has very little shot. Well, not very little, zero. I mean, it's, it's zero. It's, it's zero. I mean, if you're being, if you're being truth, I mean, truthful about the statistics, right? The reason I don't say zero is because that gets you into a really circular problem. That's just a weird thing with democracy. You don't know for certain that. Well, but it's effectively zero. The election comes in. It's effectively zero though. In the um, relevant sense, it's zero. Right. Right. And then the last one was uh, the second Obama was Obama versus. um, Obama versus Romney. Versus Romney. And did you vote Libertarian on that one also? I did. And I was very enthusiastic about voting was that Gary Johnson because that was Gary Johnson. Okay. And I thought that that's just the best shot. So here's one of the interesting things about democracy on this is that if I recall right, and I've talked to other people and they, they remember this as well, Gary Johnson in certain polls in certain states was doing very well. He was polling in double digits, which right. is unheard of for yeah. a Libertarian candidate. And even yeah. in like polls of young people, he was often outplacing Trump and um, uh, uh, Trump and Clinton. But all of us kind of veteran voters who have voted third party before know that there's this really interesting coordination game that goes on. And we kind of knew that this was not going to materialize in the election because what happens is when you show up to the poll, it's not really as much about your preference anymore. It's about, well, which of the two candidates who have the best probability do I not like? I'm going to vote the opposite yeah. so like in an ideal in an ideal situation you know uh johnson would have pulled in at 20 percent, but people aren't willing to do that because they know too many people who they think are not going to vote gary johnson yeah right? there's also i mean there's the further complication in that you know you might you might vote for let's say gary johnson even knowing he's going to lose the election i mean knowing that with 100 percent certainty effectively yeah. um because in certain states where he's strong, that might get some libertarians elected, you know, in state government, in state houses, in Congress. And so, I mean, there's reasons down ticket sometimes to support somebody who you know is not going to win at this level because you want to start trying to seed state legislatures and stuff. Now, I I have not kept enough track of how successful the libertarians have been in that regard, although my impression is not very. 
Oh, um, this this election um, was a huge step. Back. No, in any election, I'm not I'm not yeah, getting yeah, the sense yeah. that the libertarians have succeeded. Yeah, one percent in seating in seating local state houses. Oh yeah, no, um, no and not. stuff to try and sort of build from the bottom up, so that eventually then you do get a viable. Right. National candidate. I mean, my rationale generally for, uh, well, there's three rationales for generally having voted libertarian. Um, although in other elections, I have voted either major party or, um, or like green party. I've done that as well. Yeah. Uh, but those not in presidential elections. Um, my rationale for tending to vote third party has been threefold. Number one, um, again, I have this strong inclination that I will not vote for someone who doesn't align enough with me that I would feel good if my, if my vote decided the, the outcome. So the libertarian candidate has usually been that person. Um, secondly, I want to, I don't like having a two party system. And I have this kind of very naive belief that if I were to vote, I at least want to make sure that my vote might help set up uh, more visibility for a third party now why what is it that you you know let me ask you about this and i'm going to interrogate all of this at some yeah. point but i just yeah. this one there's sort of a it seems like a natural place to sort of pause and ask you yeah. what exactly is so great you think about multi-party like parliamentary so let me give you an example right yeah. um so um israel has a multi-party p- parliament right yeah. um um and the result of it is is that the country is relatively evenly split between mainstream left and mainstream right mm-hmm. and what this means is that um uh, lunatic deranged fringe third parties wind up controlling the government right because they tip the scale um so i i don't know and and you know look, look you can look at parliamentary countries you know systems in europe i mean you know the, the italy has a parliamentary um um <laughs> system um you know in other words I, I don't know what exactly is so wonderful about multi-party parliamentary systems versus two parties a two-party system like ours well there's there's a few things um well first of all i don't really know enough about israeli politics to to know kind of the truth of, of well the religious right, parties I, I, I whoever, whoever it is can make a sweet deal with the ultra orthodox well wind up right. winning the elections because it's otherwise very close 50 50 right but they wouldn't be able to achieve anything without creating cross-party coalitions Right? Well, like, no, they don't have to create a cross-party coalition. They just have to take on some fringe religious party that pushes them over, right? So that's well, what that, happened. That, that's that how Benjamin Netanyahu has stayed in power now for for you know whatever God knows how many years, because, not because he has such a you know such so a you're strong. Saying that they, right, you're saying the fringe parties have disproportionate. The fringe parties power. wind up effectively controlling. Because the they can help decide which major. Party yeah, because they're they're, they're the yeah. kingmaker, right? I mean. Um, and that's 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 built in, right? That's a feature, right? I it's mean, not a it's, bug. That's a feature of a parliamentary system where you have a relatively evenly split population. Now, where you have a fragmentary population, what you're going to get is governments that never represent any, never represent right uh, a substantial number. So I'm not understanding what is so yeah. great about other than it gets people to be able to say. I'm being represented, you know, like, which is very important to you. And that's something I'm going to interrogate later because I don't quite understand that view. Um, But you don't understand democracy as a view where I don't understand why it's constantly all about you. I don't understand why it's all about you. No, I don't. don't. But you don't understand why my vote is all about me, though. No, I don't. It seems like that's the idea of a vote is that I'm supposed to cast a ballot for the person that I would like to be a representative. 
I I would I would and, and I would contest that. Yeah. I would con- I would yeah. contest that yeah. in effective reality. What yeah. you what you describe to me is the sort of thing I would expect to sort of read in kind of like a very simplistic treatment that you might give to a six year old about what um, what democracy is. But in right. terms of if you ask me what re- what it really is, yeah, um, it involves. It w- I would say it barely resembles what you described. So, so if I fr- if I rephrase what you've just said, um, we lie to twelve year olds when we give them this idea that democracy is great and wonderful, a way to put or representation, but we adults know the way it really is. That just doesn't bode well for any enthusiasm towards democracy, does it? Yeah, I don't think it's a matter of, we'll get to this, but I don't think this is a matter of enthusiasm. I think it's a matter of just what one does, like a gazillion other things that are just what one does when one is yeah. of a certain sort of thing, right? I mean, you know, you know I mean, I don't interrogate, you- I don't interrogate philosophically, you know, why go to, the, why I get up in the morning and go to work. I don't interrogate philosophically why, and so I just, I, to me, I'm going to get, we'll get to this, but yeah. right now yeah, I just right. want to sort of ask right. about um, so what is other, so great yeah. about a multi-party system as opposed I mean, to a two-party the, system. The other thing about a multi-party system that is of benefit um, is that when you have a two-party system, the, the, the candidacy, the campaigns have everything to gain from being negative towards the other side rather than positive about themselves. Because if your only two options are me or the other guy, the best way to get your vote is to be against the other guy and to scare you from the other guy because then your only other option is me. Instead of being positive about my positions, because my goal is to become a coalition of as many voters as I can who have conflicting interests and stuff like that. So if I tell you what my positions are, I may disaffect some of the coalition. But if I just push you away from the other guy, uh, I can get a lot of folks with a lot of different interests without having to say much positive. And frankly, I think we saw a lot of that with Biden. I, I haven't talked to many Biden supporters who really know anything meaningful about his positions because frankly, he was never asked. And he did a, he did a better job than most of being a very positive like campaigner. He didn't do a lot of like anti-Trump ads that were blatantly anti-Trump. But even then, um, I mean, you know, well, this issue, this 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 election really wasn't an issues election, right? I mean, this election this is a personality election. And, sure. and this election had to do entirely with the fact. Look, this election was a 2020 election. This was not an. This was not a 2016 through 2020 election. This was a 2020 election. Meaning, the only things that mattered in this election were coronavirus and and civil unrest. Right? Those are the only yeah. things that mattered, yeah. and. The chief question on the table was, um, um, what is the bare minimum qualities in a person that we that are required for leadership during times of national emergency? Right. That was really the only issue. Right. Yeah. Um, and in my view, some people, you know, the you know, the country broke down between people who could see that clearly and look it straight in the face and be honest with themselves that this is what this was about versus and and sufficiently take seriously the gravity of the situation and those who who for various reasons in many different ways um occupied what i would call uh self-serving and comforting fictions um that had nothing to do with what actually was really at stake um um i would include you in that by the way um 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 making this all about all sorts of in my view somewhat juvenile abstractions like about democracy about democracy like, as opposed right, like to issues. who's going to be in charge of the country while we're having race riots 
and while we're having a global pandemic? Are we going to have the guy who goes up on TV and makes jokes about banging novels when he's supposed to be talking about death statistics? Or are we going to let the guy who is at least a quasi-normal human being, who behaves like a normal human being, who's going to, when, when there's a pandemic, realize that he's got to coordinate with the states because you have a country with porous borders between all the states? I mean, you know, so to me, this was the people who either voted against Biden or who didn't vote like you really were never confronting the reality of what the election was actually about, is See, my view. I mean, one of the problems, and I know, I know you're, you, you will probably hate that, I, that I'm going to do this, but um, the problem is that when I'm talking to people who are pro-Trump, they would have said almost exactly the same things and they would have just switched who you mean. Yeah, but so what? We're not, we're not in middle school. We're not in middle school. We can actually evaluate the quality of the statements on either side. So I would like to hear an equivalent. I guess what I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is what you see is so obvious was not so obvious to convince almost 50% of the voters. This was a narrow margin. And when you're in that situation, I think it should behoove all of us to have a, a bit of epistemic humility with that and to say, okay, again, you're, you're, you're entirely talking in abstractions. You're just, you, you swim in a sea of abstractions. I've very, I've yet to hear a single concrete thing out of you. It's all about principles. And what if I was saying that this was viewed as me saying this, I haven't heard anything about the actual reality, right? And that's that's what I object to. I, I, and look, this is hardly just you. I mean, this is why I find philosophers in general amongst the most useless uh, analysts of 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 these sorts of things because they just they're completely unmoored from untethered from reality. Again, I said something very specific during right. a global pandemic. During a national emergency, you cannot have a person in charge of the country who behaves like X, Y, and Z. Now, I want to hear the equivalent point about Biden. Not abstractions, not he might start a war sometime, somewhere. When I'm talking, I I made a very specific claim. You cannot have a vulgar, deranged lunatic in charge of your country when you're in the middle of national emergency. It's difficult for me to respond. What's the reply? Right. It's well, it's difficult for me to respond because not only are you saying I can't respond with any idea couched in principle, but you're saying I can't respond to any appeals to policy. Well, how about just reality on the ground? How about just reality on the ground? What's actually happening? Civil unrest in cities across the country, pandemic that's now killed up to 200,000 people. Reality. That's what the election is about, right? Yeah. So uh, what, yeah. what is the answer to why the, the Biden, the two quote for Biden? Explain to me how Biden is a much of a menace, given that reality, as Trump. Sure. Um, okay. Um, so Trump is an ass, but a president does more than give speeches and acts as a figurehead. But if we want to talk about speeches and figurehead, um, we should at least – pay attention to the idea that Joe Biden is a 78-year-old who, at best, is exhibiting the signs of cognitive decline that you would expect of a 78-year-old. Some people say he's going through dementia. I'm not convinced of that. I've heard people who have experience with that say, this is obviously not that. Um, To have a 78-year-old in that who fairly regularly in speeches 
you could replace Trump's kind of abrasive comments with Biden's memory lapses, frankly, um, not knowing what amendment to refer to when you refer to our right to free speech or not knowing who the candidate you're running against is because you, you, uh, you, you call them by the wrong name. Um, do so you think that is relative that the, to is civil that a unrest inspire a ton of confidence relative to, to imminent civil unrest and a pandemic that requires not only coordination among the states, but also um, a constant um, um, sustained support for public morale. You're saying that the, what you described about Biden is equally concerning to, as to what I described about about Trump. Is that what you're suggesting? No, I don't think equally concerning, but I think given all of the other considerations, policy considerations that I can't understand why you don't think are relevant to deciding who to vote for. Um, so you, you don't think this was election? They're not so much better that they correct for all of that. So you don't think this election was entirely about the pandemic and the civil unrest? I think you think this was a we, foreign policy election? We're not electing a president for the next six months. We're electing a president for the next four years. And right, but I'm asking what this election. Away. I'm asking what this election was actually about. Away. I th- well, I, again, I think that we're electing someone for four years, and if you look in the Constitution under the duties of the president, you'll find more than gives speeches and unites the country. Yeah. You find a lot of other things there. You find signs bills into laws. You find, uh, you know, kind of elects cabinet members and, 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 and advisors. And yeah, I do think that Biden is better than Trump on a lot of those. And things. you think but Trump, think you, Trump you, you like the people that things, you like the people that Trump would attract around himself to work for him as much as, as, as equally to what the sort of people Biden would get around himself. Uh, I actually like them both this. Uh, I you, actually dislike them both equally for you, different reasons. You dislike them both equally. Okay. For different reasons. Um, not for the so you think that there are Biden counterparts to well here's a, here's an Jared Kush, Kushner and Trump Jr. and you think that there are Biden counterparts to that who would be occupying positions in the White House and I in- think that I think that when you look at the type of people who were doing things for Barack Obama with the Joe Biden vice presidency the type of people who you we have every reason to think Biden is going to nominate what you see is policies that were not appreciably different from many of Trump's policies with the difference that they just seemed more respectable because those folks talked in very complete sentences and very well thought out paragraphs. And we just sort of ignored it. Okay. Well, look, so, so part of this, you know, this breaks down into several things. One thing is. I, I, let me just stress because I know that listeners are going to get the impression that I'm just uh, I'm defending Trump here. Again, I didn't vote for. No, him. you didn't, didn't vote, vote for Trump. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not I don't think you're defending that Trump. I didn't. Right. I don't think you're defending Trump. And understand that in blogging heads, there is a very strong pro-Trump contingent in the comments that are not going to be intimidated at all of saying what they want. So it's well, it's I, fine. I appreciated He's, that yeah. discussion you had yeah. with Spencer and Robert, even though I disagree with Spencer's reasons for supporting Trump. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate that you had someone on who we, you could have that intelligence yeah. dialogue yeah. with. Yeah. No, I, I, and I'm more interested in the structure of this whole problem. I mean, because look, when it, it's going to come down to things that you just fundamentally disagree on, that you're, they're not, you're not going to convince the other person because they're not matters of fact. They're not things that are independently yeah. verifiable. So I just want to get clear on the sort of the structure of this, right? So look, one thing about not voting is because in this election, I thought the two were equivalent, right? 
equivalently bad and I don't want to vote for mm-hmm. equal bads. Now that breaks down into two further questions, right? So one thing is, are they really equivalently bad? And I obviously disagree with you about that. I, and and the, what you've just described to me doesn't, doesn't, doesn't fit the reality that I see. Let me, um, just, let me just also um, restress because this is a point worth, worth uh, it's a point that can be missed. When I say they're equivalently bad, I mean they're equivalently bad in different ways. Yeah, in I different ways. They're equivalently but, but, bad in the same way. The ledgers, the, the net result is equally bad. It just may be that this guy is worse in terms of his behavior and the personality and the other guy's worse because he'll put a bunch of neocon hawks into the State Department that are going to make us invade another well country. Said, Dan. <laughs> well, whatever. Well but that's, said. you know, that's, that's the sort of thing that people yes. have said, right? Yes. I mean, they pointed out that and right. Trump, Trump's not gotten us into any wars, right. um, which is true. Um, and, um, so, um, that's one side of it is, people can then disagree over whether they're equally bad or not. I obviously don't think it's, I don't think it's even close, but, but that again, will come down to perceptions that we're just not going to agree on. Um, But the other thing is then the more general question about not voting just as sort of in general. Right. Um, And I actually, this, this this was where we disagreed that I didn't expect originally when I gave you the article. Yeah. You expected it to be be all about how horrible Trump is and how could you not see it? Right. But that's not my main, that's not my main thing. Um, And actually your description of the, your history of voting actually to me is very interesting and it actually bolsters what I was originally thinking. And that is, um, you know, I understand when you have a very extreme set of circumstances saying, gosh, neither of these, these people are both awful, right? You know, Hillary Clinton versus Trump. I mean, that's really, that is a, that is a, you know, hold your nose and and take anti-nausea medicine, right? Um, But you've been doing this the entirety of your voting history, which tells me everybody to you is an extreme situation. Now, to me, when I hear your voting history, and then you give me whatever your things about not voting, what I want to now want to know is, does it not occur to you that you yourself are so eccentric and out of touch with the community you belong to that you really ought to be concerned more with why you're so weird rather than why 30 years worth, 20 years worth of presidential candidates haven't been good enough. And, and all the hundreds of millions of people voting for them haven't been good enough for you. I mean, what the fuck is so special about you, man? Yeah. Right. Um, well, so there's two things to say about that. Number one, um, like I said in the piece, there's this weird thing with democracy where it's both a way for citizens to voice their preferences and a way to aggregate those preferences into a total to decide a winner. So there's two ways to approach voting. There's the way of like strategically where I want to figure out who the candidate is I can support, who I think is most likely to win other people's support, and then I'll vote that way, which is the way you're kind of advocating for. Or there's a way to say, no, I'm going to take this literally in the sense of when I vote for a candidate. It gives me a list of preferences and I'm going to vote my preference. And if my horse doesn't win the day, um, that's fine because it's about citizens voicing their preferences and then aggregating those totals. Um, I don't think the strategic way is wrong. As I also say in the piece, I, I just think it's a quirk of democracy that you have both of these competing um, ways to see what you're doing. And I just, again, if, I look at it as if I vote for someone and somehow, some way, my vote actually carries the day and decides, let's say, the state of North Carolina. I want to make real sure that I I can't go back and say, no, that's not what I meant. I really prefer this person. I just voted for that person because they were the, the least noxious of the group. Um, 
So again, I, I don't think the strategic way is wrong. I just think that's one way to look at what you're doing. I mean, what what you you're describing to me, you know, I'm thinking about your history of voting, which if we're characterizing it truthfully is voting for people who you know will lose on purpose, right? Uh, on purpose, not in the sense of I know they will lose, therefore I will vote for them. No, 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 purpose, but voting on purpose lose, for people who you know are going to lose every single election, right? Yeah. Um, that tells me what that sounds to me is like, and given your characterization, is that you view voting as primarily performative. And I find that incomprehensible. Um, yeah. Well, um, if you look at it strategically, though, also, Dan, you got to square up to the fact that your vote will almost certainly decide nothing. Right. So yeah, but that, that, that doesn't though. help your point. That doesn't help your point because your whole point is, it help oh, my God, if it, tur- if it turned out that my vote mattered, then I would have to stand there and say it's like, but that's no, never going to happen because your vote never does matter. It doesn't help my point, but it harms yours. Because if you're saying what you should do when you vote is choose the person who you think has the best chance that you like the most. What I'm saying is, Dan, if you think your vote is going to do anything significant towards that person, you should probably just stay home. So you don't think there are any collective activities? There are no collective efforts, but not but your individual vote. And let here's the other quirk of democracy: the collective effort is made all the harder because we vote by secret ballot. If you could figure out a way to break that coordination mechanism and say, "I know for certain that this many people are going to vote for Joe Biden." And therefore, I'm going to contribute a vote to that total. First of all, your vote still doesn't matter very much. But secondly, then and only then could you say you're justified fully in that strategy. You, for all you know, a lot of people could say, I'm going to vote Biden and then go into the polls and vote Trump. I mean, we've seen the pollings have been wrong. So a lot of people are either saying they're voting for Biden and, and lying about it, or they're just not saying anything. Um, but that's, that's, that's a real inhibitor of that collective action problem is the fact that we have secret ballots. Because if we, if, if we didn't have secret ballots, I bet a lot more people would have voted for Gary Johnson, at least because he was, he's polling high. But we have secret ballots. You can vote however you want when you get in there. But I mean, really, if you think that voting is this strategic thing where you're trying to pick a leader and you should vote for who you think has the best numerical chance that you like the most, I'm just going to remind you that your vote is infinitesimal. And you live in a state, if I'm not mistaken, that's a, a, a pretty steady stronghold or is it, has it changed well i mean it, my state missouri has usually been a republican stronghold right well or not usually i mean usually better? missouri has been split right i oh, mean okay, missouri, okay. missouri was one of those uh belt you know okay. determiners right because the cities kansas city and st louis okay. were democrat and the uh the smaller cities and the rural areas were republican i mean we had when i first moved here which was in 2000, we had a democratic governor. Um, and, um, um, so, so the, the, it's, it's in the recent years has been pretty consistently Republican, partly because of okay. the decline right. of this, the two big cities. Right. But even um, then, I mean, numerically your vote has, but, so but whether change. it stays that way, whether it's, I guess, I guess, you know, it's funny that as you were saying all of this, I've heard <clears throat> philosophers say a lot of these things. I mean, there's a whole literature yeah. <clears throat> about in philosophy about your vote, whether your vote counts and whether that means you should do it or not. And it always made me think 
a gosh, this these are the times that I understand why everybody hates philosophy. Um, <laughs> B, it reminds me of why I hate philosophy. Are you sure you're in the right profession? Well, I, I, I would love to be in my profession if the people in it weren't such a bunch of creeps and didn't stop being such a bunch of eccentric weirdos, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I get that. To I get me, that. to me, the whole, yeah. to me, I don't philosophize unless there's something really worth it, right? Um, and I just don't. By the way, I should mention the only reason I sound like a philosopher here is because you are asking me to articulate reasons. I know, I know, of course. I don't like think about this. I, I'm not like this ultra, like you know, kind of like detached mathematical thinker about yeah but your considerations are all very philosophical considerations right i mean they're not practical considerations right they're not you know the the way the way i look at, at this is is sort of you know um there's a number of things that one just does by virtue of what one is right i mean i mean and this is true across the sectors of one's life and i guess some of them are worth interrogating um I guess I think worth interrogating. I'm sorry. You don't think voting is one of those that's worth interrogating. I think, I think, um, no, actually, no, I don't. I don't think, I don't think voting is any more worth interrogating than grocery shopping. Right. I mean, in the sense that, in the I, sense, grocery shopping is more than because because I have to eat, I have to get food. What listen, is, like, listen, you know, don't even. To. I hate to tell you this, but philosophers want to interrogate the shit out of grocery shopping. I mean, they, you know, you've got the ethical vegans who are going to come in on this. You've got the, the right, sustain, you've got the sustainable and, agriculture yeah. people who are going to come in on this. You know, listen, I have this argument all the time. You know, my response to ethical veganism is that there's nothing wrong with my six-year-old's tuna sandwich, right? Um, and, and the point is to sort of confront the the, yeah. the the interrogation with the uh, the the mundanity and normality of 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 something that everybody does and that there's no chance in ten thousand years you're going to ever turn into some great crime right that's just not going to happen right why yeah. because because the human bounds of common sense can only be abused so far right and before they break. Yeah. And I feel a little bit similarly about this. I mean, it's just sort of I like. I don't see why you think that voting is not worth. When you live in. Because, when, because part of, you know, it's funny. I asked my father. So both of my parents come out of Nazi, come out of the, not out of the Holocaust. My father was born in um, 1928 in Germany. Um, and his family uh, fled in 1933 due to the rise of the Nazis. My mother was born in Transylvania, which then was Hungary, and her family was shipped off to the concentration camps. Mm. And I actually asked my parents about this not voting thing, and they actually they actually expressed tremendous hostility towards you. They said to me, this young man is such a spoiled brat, he has no idea how lucky he is, right? To live in a place where you actually can vote, right? So they think that they they think they, 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 they think, they think the that you are they, they they reacted to my to your not voting as um wow the kind of reaction that only a person in an extraordinary luxurious situation could even imagine, let alone they were offended. They were offended by your not voting. So I would ask them the following question. 
you lived in societies that did not have the freedom of speech to say controversial shit. If I decide on any given day not to say controversial shit just because, would you also then say the reason you just didn't want to say controversial shit today is because you're so privileged that you don't realize how fortunate you are to live in a you society? Think where you think that's a good analogy. You shit? think that's a good analogy? Yeah. I think it's an idiotic analogy. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, come on. We're talking about one of the basic, one of the basic functions, right? You know, you ask somebody, what is it to be a citizen in a democracy, right? Um, this is what I mean by there are just things that one does because of what one is, right? And, and, and I mean, I guess, you know, my parents view voting as a tremendously precious resource, right? It's something that... Okay, that well, then they should vote, of course, but... Right, and, and, and that to not vote, there should be some extraordinary reason. And the reason can't be, well, this 35th person that I could have voted for over the last 20 years also doesn't meet my standards like all the others. Yeah. They find that sort of precious and... Um, uh, okay, kind of so the, kind of un unmoored from the world a little bit yeah it, so the, i mean and i guess i agree all, with I think that my reason of not preferring one of the two major candidates is probably a good reason not to vote but i mean on your on your view or maybe their view would they have been happy if i did a coin flip and i well, i've listen so, so this gets us on another one of the things that we've we, we've been batting back and forth so you know and I'm sure a lot of people do this, right? So you go in to vote, right? And there's the ballot. You got this piece of paper, right? Mine yeah. was on a piece of paper. I know some people are doing it on touchscreens. And, you know, there's the president and the vice president. Then there might be, you know, a congressman or somebody that you – but then you go down, and it's people – you have not the faintest idea who these fucking people are, right? I mean, you just don't know, right? So what do I do? I just fill in all the Democratic boxes, right, down the line, of the right? Which is not quite flipping a coin, but it's in the orbit of, of what you're talking it's about. It's a brand. You like the brand. Now, you may ask me, well, why do I do that? Well, why do I do that? <laughs> right. Well, because I live in a super hyper right wing fundamentalist Christian part of the country. And I think that the ethos of those people is ha- has a malignant effect on my community and my environment. Okay. And so I'm going to vote down the line for the people who roughly belong to the orientation that is least like that and that is least likely to favor or pursue this, those kinds of things. So um, how is that different than what I'm doing? Because you're, you're voting, voting for them you're without – You're not voting at all. Well, no, but you also took me to task for voting libertarian because – I'm not voting strategically in a way where I'm voting for people. Well, I am voting strategically. So you think that your vote is going to make it much more likely that the Democrat gets Democrats can win. I mean, Democrats can win in Missouri and they do win in Missouri. I mean, you know, um, um, they don't win all the time, Um, but Democrats, I mean, listen, some of the more powerful people in the Senate and the house are from Missouri. Um, But unless I I mean, part of what you were saying was that you vote democratic because in some sense you also want to send a message that, like no I, i'm not interested okay. i have okay. no interest okay. in messages okay i have saying. no interest in messages i don't vote performatively it's not a form of signaling i don't care what people think i've represented i i don't even understand that that scruple yeah. um um that hypothetical what if somebody had thought that i had said blah 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 i don't even understand worrying about that is something i don't understand um um i'm very who, but, to, but for someone who puts 
so much value on democracy that you want us to vote just because it's something citizens do. You take an awfully dim view of democracy. I didn't say, I don't think I took, did I ever say I put such great value on it? it. I simply said that it's what one does. Right. And you're saying one is a citizen of a, of a democracy. Right. But then you're saying like, it's not your job when you vote to like vote for the person that you really like. If that person's not someone who can, can really win your vote is to kind of, you suck it up and you, you vote for the least one votes candidate because that's just what you do. But then I, I I find it so hard to square with your reverence for the idea of voting. like I don't I think I had any reverence. I mean, you're ascribing to me sentiments that I don't have. Now, certainly my you're parents do. angry that I didn't vote. If my that's par- not, oh, if I, don't that's not- I don't give a shit if you didn't vote. I just, I'm, I'm always intense about whatever I argue, I'm intense. But I mean, I don't think you should have been forced to. I don't think you should be shunned for not having done it. It's not like I refuse to be your friend because you didn't. I mean, I, I, I don't right. care in that sense. I mean, you do what you like. I'm just, I just find it weird and I, I, I think it's interesting okay. to talk about why. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah let, me, let me ask you this, either for you or maybe for your parents, although that's unfair because I wouldn't want you to answer. My parents' that. reasons are very different from mine. They, they right. would idealize. Do you, believe, do you believe that I am doing, I'm performing my citizenly duties more if I would have gone in and voted for Trump than if I stayed home and not voted for Trump or voted for Biden? Because it sounds like, given what you're saying, the answer would be yes. And that's really weird. If you're asking me, I have more respect for Spencer's decision than yours. Yes. Oh, okay. That's, that's I do. Okay. I do. I think Spencer's wrong. Right. But I understand what he did. I still don't understand yours. I mean, I don't understand somebody for whom 25 years of candidates, none of them are good enough, who doesn't say, hmm. That's probably a problem on my end, right? Like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't see it as a problem. I, like, why is it a problem that my preferences don't line up with other people's? Well, it's a like, problem. Why should, I, why should I subject my preferences to, to what other people want and say, you know, not only am I going to vote, but because my preferences are so weird, I'm going to suppress them so that I can vote for the least noxious candidate because at least I might pick a winner. Because it's the nature of all social existence. Now, maybe you're such a libertarian that you sort of don't believe even in sort of social life, right? But as far as I can tell, as far as I can have understood and have experienced in 52 years I've been alive, is that, um, I mean, even fucking marriages, right? I mean, there are probably almost as many ways in which my wife can't stand me as in the ways she can, right? I mean, um, 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 you know, mar- marriages are very practical, grounded, blood and soil sorts of blood and earth sorts yeah. of things, right? There, and, 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 and the ones that last are the one people who understand this, right? And the ones who have these utopian, oh, it's love, you know, get divorced six times because every single time the spouse is not quite up to their standards. Whereas yeah. I look at it the quite the opposite way, right? Um, 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 I guess I, I guess I just don't see too much analogy between choosing. Well, I think it's a directly analogous, and the, and the and the direct analogy goes like this, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that in any social organ, any social environment, there's probably nobody who I'm going to agree with even 80% on 80%, right? Um, um, I find that in the company that I keep, because I don't insist on ideological conformity of my friends, right? And, and relatives who I'll talk to, I find that in the company of my, that I keep, the levels of agreement are probably between 40 and 60 one way or the other, right? right. Um, 
And yes. so I just don't have any, I, I guess part of what my, my problem with your approach is, is that I think your expectations are, are, are unmoored or untethered from the actual world you, you occupy. And so I do think that you're kind of living in kind of a, 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 an artificial space mm. that you've created on mm. the basis of a lot of abstract principles, all of which I would contest um, um, about what it is to live in a social environment, what it is to be in a community with other people, what it is to be in, a, in to self-govern, what it is to be in a participatory enterprise. I just don't yeah. understand well, any of so, your yeah. scruples along any of those lines. Well, that's another area we, we definitely disagree um, is I think you've made the analogy before of like, um, well, it's not an analogy, but you've made you like it's just what you do. If you live in a democracy, you vote. What, what, yeah, there are things that and, one does. Given and to my mind, is, right? and to my mind, the way I see it, I live in this place that decided long before I got here um, that democracy was going to be the way that we choose our leaders. It's not even the way we choose our rules; it's the way we choose our leaders, who will then go on to choose the rules. And as such we would really like people to participate in this process. It's a process that's available to you, but it's not a process that everyone needs to participate in. Clearly we don't have a law that mandates voting. And I just don't see that like, if I don't like the candidates on offer, I'm fully willing to accept the idea that the can the, the winner of the election will not be someone I like, generally speaking. It's not like I, I'm not willing to accept that. I see it as more like, here's our decision-making process. You can participate. It's sort of like, um, it's sort of like a, like a town meeting. If you live in a town that takes like, has those kind of town hall meetings and you can show up and you can participate. Um, I just think it would be a bizarre step to say, because we have that town hall here and that's how we collect ideas, you should feel some moral obligation to participate. Even if you have nothing that you care to offer. Again, I, I'm not talking about moral obligations and I don't, I don't, you know, no, to me, to me, to me, about. talk, to me, talk of obligations in the absence of any talk of sanction is entirely empty talk. And so as far as I'm concerned, you deserve neither legal nor social sanction for not voting. So I, that's not, I, I, we're, we're just talking about different conceptions okay, of so, what we're doing. And I'm just question, saying, I don't understand yours. Then that's the question, all. then the question for you is, do you think I should feel bad for not voting? No. Okay. No. Okay. No. Then, I, then I'm struggling to figure out what exactly you're saying because clearly you think I'm breaching something. No, I think we're, no, I'm what we're voting. doing is I'm taking you seriously enough to take your view of what we're, of this enterprise, the, yeah. the, 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 the citizenship slash participatory democracy. I'm taking it seriously enough yeah. to sort of ask whether it's a viable conception. And I, I don't think it is, right? I'm not doing this because but you don't I think wanna, anything follows from that. I'm not doing this because I want to browbeat you into voting next time. Like that's right. not my that's not my aim at all. Right. Um, um, or well, you'd be one of the few. it or whatever. I yeah. really don't understand. And look, this is this goes along with a whole raft of sort of views I have on a whole bunch of things. What? Same thing. I would yeah. say the similar things about ethics to me. Politics is 100% entirely practical. It's not an expression of anything. I do. This is not the politics of ancient Greece. Right. This is so the politics so you, of. So you don't think yeah. that uh, choosing a president based on immigration or foreign policy connects with ethics in a meaningful way? I think that I think that the ways in which all of these things actually wind up getting done and implemented involves so many actors 
who bear so many pieces of the responsibility that I don't think that that, that that's a, that that's can straightforwardly be answered that way. No, I don't. Um, I do think, I do think that, um, um, you know, when one is a part of, look, I mean, to a certain extent, I guess what I'm saying is I don't actually think you're part of the communities that you belong to. Right. Um, I think, I think through, through as a matter of praxis, not as a matter of self-declaration or what you think or how you view yourself or how others view you. I'm just saying as a matter of fact, as a citizen in a participatory democracy, barring extraordinary circumstances, which this can't be since you've done it like 20 times now. Right. Um, I don't, I, 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 to me, the voting is just part of what one does, barring extraordinary circumstances. Um, and, and I just don't, and all the reasons you've given are not reasons that I understand because they're all features, not bugs. Why right? is voting? So let me, let me ask you then, why is voting to you a part of what one just does? If you live in a, in a, in a participatory self, because we live in a participatory democracy where essentially we self govern. But I live in a society that also um, gives me the right, and in some sense says it values um, petitioning the government. And sure, but I don't. Voting is not the only one. To do that. Voting is not the only one. It's just the most rudimentary. No, but I don't basic. feel obligated to do that. I, I guess, like, how is voting different than than a right that we have that we can exercise, but that we can also not exercise? How is I it, would, it, it, it wouldn't be, it would only be different in terms of how basic or fundamental it is. It wouldn't be different otherwise in kind. And you think voting is more basic? Than I think in a participatory democracy, an adult, the, the primary attribute of an adult citizen is that they're a voter. Yes, I do. So you think that voting is more basic than speaking? Okay. No, no, no. More space, more basic than engaging in, uh, activi- activism. Yes, I do. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I, yeah. I, I completely disagree. Yeah. yeah. I, I and if you look disagree. at the, the numbers activism of people, I mean, more. look at the numbers of people. I, I understand that. But again, I'm not really talking about views or opinions. I'm just sort of getting down at what the actual reality is. Right. So far more people vote than engage in activism, right? Activism ref- ref- reflects a tiny percentage of the population, right? Most people just get right, along but, with their okay, lives so, so, and voting is part of what they do alongside well, other basic things that they do in their lives as citizens. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's obvious. If you take the amount of time it takes someone to vote and you had them do something else that would benefit the community or you have them do something like you know, write an op-ed or um, join a petition or something like that. I, th- I don't think it's obvious that voting is the better way to affect change. I didn't say that. I just said it's one of the basic things one does. I, then I don't understand. Like, yeah, I don't understand why it's more basic. Well, because what one is, is a citizen in a participatory democracy. Yeah, or, but what one is. Which involves self-governance. Liberal democracy and liberal rights. See, I, I like we're a citizen. I didn't say, but but see, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. That you, I'm not saying that there's never any good reason to not vote. I'm yeah. just saying I haven't heard any good ones from you. That's all. Hmm. I haven't heard any good ones from you. Now, I think I think the lines being too long is a better reason than any reason you've given me so far. Okay. So not being so not being able to decide 
for a candidate that I think I want to be my leader is a pretty bad reason. Not to On the basis of unreasonable scruples, yes, it's a bad reason. And it's a better re- and it's a worse reason than than not want, than not being able to spend three hours standing yeah. online. Yes, I do, wow. because I think it's ultimately a practical act, act, activity. I'm still, I know you say you're not doing this, but I just find it hard to square your much more pessimistic view of democracy and what we do when we do it with your incredulity that someone would not vote even if they don't have a preferred candidate. It's well, no, I'm I'm not no 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 I'm not saying I'm not saying that I don't understand not voting if you don't have a preferred candidate. I'm not understanding your grounds for not having a preferred candidate. Right. And that's bolstered by the story you told me about how not a single candidate for the last 25 years has been a preferred candidate. Now, what that tells me is a lot about you and nothing about the candidates, right? <laughs> is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're getting at. It's just it's, it's not very forceful. Well, it's not intended to be forceful because I'm not trying to convince you to do something, right? I'm just simply saying you wrote an essay saying here's why I didn't vote. And my answer is, I don't understand. I don't get those reasons. Right. Now, why don't I get those reasons? Well, here, because, you know, voting is a pretty normal, mundane thing that one does as a citizen, as a participatory driver. Sure, I can imagine reasons not doing it. They would either have to be matters of real inconvenience or some tremendously overriding. Um, But then when you tell me, well, I haven't done it for the last 25 candidates, my answer is, okay, well, then clearly. It's not that I haven't done it, Dan. It's not that I haven't gone to the polls and voted. It's that I haven't voted for the candidates you think are, are, are the viable candidates. And the majority of citizens agree with you. And again, I'm just saying that when I look at democracy, I don't hmm. think what I'm doing is trying to pick the, the no, that's, that's a fair point. Trying to express no, 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 that's a fair point. And you know what? I'm realizing now that really there's two separate issues that I've conflated that, I, that it's a mistake. One is the issue of not voting. And then the other issue is voting on purpose for people who you know are going to lose. Um, and those right. are separable. Um, yeah. And we yeah. need to have, we yeah. need to have another program for the second one because yeah. I may want to say similar things, but they obviously would have to be changed. Um, yeah. This is, I, this, yeah, this is a great discussion. I mean, one of the things I'll definitely say that um, kind of, I, I think is great about a discussion like this is that these are the discussions that another thing that disgusts me about the 2020 election cycle that are so few and far between to have it's I have never seen an election cycle that has been more, not only partisan, but so willingly partisan. People, people get too upset, man. Even make an effort to understand the other side on the other side's terms. And that's important. So when I talk to um, Biden supporters or anti-Trumpers, um, it's like, they say, yeah, I want, to, I want to understand why the other side can be so racist. It's like, well, that's not trying to understand the other side. You've already framed that they're racist. You want to understand why they're racist. They would disagree. And then when you talk to people on the other side, they're like, I want to understand why people on the left just hate America so much. Like, I, like you're framing the issue. You don't want to understand anything. You just want confirmation of your priors. And that's another reason why it's like, I don't feel at home in any of these circles. No, we can agree that our civil discourse is a goddamn cesspool and that, um, 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 you know, the people I've made, um, gotten in bed with, um, uh, uh, there's a proverbially, of course, remember Tubin. There's a, (laughs) 
and I am wearing pants. There, there is a segment of the people I've gotten in bed with that are just absolutely appalling. And, and anybody who knows my work will know I've been very harsh on them. Mm. Um, I, I, I part, partly part of the reason, you know, when you talk about strategic voting, you're almost a little bit naive in your characterization of, I mean, it really, my voting is fucking strategic, like, like in like layers, right? So mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is going on in our policy that's uh, that's so disturbing is that both parties are having a struggle um, in which um, a, 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 a substantial and intense portion of their electorate um, uh, w- want to want to sort of change the country from a liberal ethos to something else, right? And mm-hmm. um, and I, in my view. Allowing Trump to stay in office would make it impossible for for liberalism to win that fight in either party because Trump is such a radicalizing influence. Trump radicalizes everyone. He radicalizes the Republicans and he radicalizes the Democrats. Um, 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 Trump is to to our system of politics like like Hamas is to the to the the Israeli Palestinian problem. Right? right. He just created. And so part of my reason my, my for me wanting to make sure Trump is out is because I still think that there is some remote chance that we might stay a liberal country. Yeah. But we have to allow these parties. It has to be allowed. The fight has to be allowed to play out. And, and Trump, Trump simply loses the fight for one side and wins it for the other. And then it's just a matter of whether we're going to get right wing illiberals or left wing illiberals. To to some degree. I mean, there's two things that I'd say in response to that. The first is that one of the hidden benefits of having Trump in office, and I cringe when I say benefits because it's it's so indirect, is that for the first time in a long time, at least since George W. Bush, we have had a media that has been relentlessly critical and justifiably so of a president. When when Barack Obama was in office, um, there were things that the media had Trump done them or had George W. Bush done them. And a lot of them were things George W. Bush would have done. Um, the media would have been very critical and they would have been right to. Trump is such an asshole that he almost like a magnet yeah. gets the media in there to do their fucking job. They just didn't do their job for eight years. And again, I, this is a hidden remote benefit of Trump, but if you want a liberal society, that's the sort of thing you also need to have. Yeah, You need to have that. And secondly, I'll just say that I, I do believe Trump is a catalyst of polarization I think back to Obama's administration, had he been president during COVID and the, the, the racial unrest, I think he could have done a, would have done a much better job at, 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 at least not polarizing people. But I also think that Trump is less the problem than a symptom of problems other people may be missing and, un, and wrongly believe are just sort of going to disappear Oh, I agree. He's a symptom. I agree. I agree. He's a symptom, but I, I, I agree with that. Um, 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 I just feel that I just think that he, um, that that his behavior was is such his public behavior is such that um, that we really just can't. I feel like we've we've just we've just swam through the 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 depths of the abnormal, and that before every, we need to get back to normal before. We, we can then fix okay, anything, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean I, yeah, yeah. We're not going to fix anything yeah. in an environment like this going on another four years. That, that's why I viewed, 
that's why to me that the it actually wasn't difficult at all right i mean it wasn't like mm-hmm. and i'm not a big fan of joe biden and i certainly don't like listen if if an eisenhower republican had run for president i would have voted for him right? well i think you and i also agreed in private conversation that had um tulsi gabbard won the democratic primary i would have been a uh, lot happier had andrew yang won the democratic primary which is crazy from someone who has been very libertarian um I would have had no trouble deciding yeah. to yeah. vote that ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just think Joe Biden is such a, just a, a moderate in all the problematic ways. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, I think the main problem is his age and his, and the fact that he's probably simply not as strong as he was in terms of um, insisting and re- and resisting and all that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, and it's going to be very, yeah. the early appointments, the early cabinet appointments are going to be a real indicator of yeah. whether I gambled yeah. right or whether the right wingers were right. And that his, his administration is basically going to be run from the squad. Right. I mean, that's sort of, sort of, we, we just don't know yet, but yeah. to me, that dice roll within the frame of a okay. normal is yeah. still better than having what I just viewed as a complete um, deranged like not nightmare. Yeah. Um, um, Yeah. And that's, and that's fair. And I'll go along with, with almost all of that, except uh, because it it just pains me to like, almost feel like I have to like defend Trump. And so I I don't ever take, I didn't take you at once as defending Trump. I don't think that that's it at all. Um, Listen, we've gone on way long. um, So I'm going to stop it because the audience only has so much, uh, you know, we can talk for four hours, but the audience doesn't want to watch it. But I would like to take up separately on another occasion. If you're game, the question of voting for a sure loser versus voting for well, what I'm calling a sure loser versus not voting. Sure. Right, because you are absolutely right that I conflated the two in my connecting your history then to this year, and um, that was an error yeah. on my part. And so, but in thinking sure. about it very quickly, I'm thinking I probably would say something similar about voting for a sure loser. So, I would like to talk about that on a separate occasion if yeah, you're still good. interested. Yeah, but, absolutely. All right, all right, Kevin, thank you so much. And um, we'll see you the next time around. And I strongly encourage everyone to come uh, read Kevin's stuff at the Electric Agora. It's very good. And it is not in sync with my, me or anybody else. I mean, he really is uh, independent. Um, and that's exactly the sort of thing that the reason why I have a stable of writers and it's not my blog is because I don't want it to just be my views. Yeah. So I'm very happy to have you. And uh, yeah, thank thanks. you. All right, man. Take care. Yeah, you too, Dan.